when we get into the metrics and we get into the data, it's it's easy to forget that this is a game played by humans. You know, everybody wants to make projections and play the game on paper, but that's not where it's played. You have to be on time twice. The first time you're on time is to pitch recognition and identification. You have to be ready to see the pitch, and you and that's movement that gets you there. So on time first time is pitch recognition. On time twice is contact. But we're very rarely perfect in this game, so you have to you have to build as much uh, variability into your process as possible to give yourself a chance to to have a chance when you're not good. Fellas, 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 welcome back to the Farm System Podcast, your home for baseball development. We're here for you, by you, and with you. I'm your co-host, Joey Cunha. And I'm Bo Callis. This podcast is designed for coaches, players, scouts, really anyone looking to further their development in the game of baseball. Here at the Farm System, we take pride in being lifelong learners, and we're here to be a bridge from where you are to where you're going. We'd like to welcome back our veteran listeners. We're happy to grow with you again. We'd also like to welcome our first-time listeners, the rookies. Don't worry, every vet was once a rookie. This podcast is brought to you by our partners over at Rapsodo. Measure to master. Rapsodo brings powerful insights into every pitch. They help players and coaches improve their performance through real data. On this episode, we sit down with Bobby Tewksbury, founder of Tewksbury Hitting and co-founder of AB Athletic Development. And Bobby, you know, like one thing I want to open this up before we actually get into the podcast uh, here, Bo, is... Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of talk about the the character of, of Bobby and, you know, the things that um, kind of just really tells a story about what tells about like who he is. Um, when I was back in college, I was actually my junior year, I was, I was still at uh, Pine Bluff and I didn't have any money. I mean, I'm, you know, we're, you know how it was, but we we're, we got it. We're getting hot dogs and corn dogs and we're eating food. And uh, in any case, uh, he came out with his book and I've been following him for a while, liked his ideas. It was different and um, I wanted his book, but I, I didn't have the money, had no, no shot, didn't have the money. And so I um, wrote him a message, wrote him an email told, telling him, I was like, man, I, I'll pay you $10 a month. I'll do whatever I can. You know, I want your book, uh, whatever, you know, you can make work out for me. Like I want to pay the full price. You know, I just don't have the money. I'm in college. And, uh, you know, he replied to me and gave me the whole book for free and just said, pass it along. Like I've been there, you know? And, um, that really, you know, set me on that change, changed my life. He's been mentoring me from afar for a while. Um, it was actually, I have never gotten the chance to actually speak with him and tell him like the impact that he had on me until just this past year at ABCA, um, I caught up with him and, um, he knew I was cause, cause I worked at uh, 108 and we had spoke a couple of times on Twitter and, um, I got to share with him at the ABCA, the impact that he had on me. Um, and you know, again, how things go full circle and he had no idea. He had totally forgotten that he had gave that to me at one point. Um, and he was just so pumped. It was cool just to see his face and how things come full circle. But I just wanted to share that before we jumped into the podcast on the bow. Pull up a seat, grab your notepad. Here's Bobby Tewksbury. Welcome back to the Farm System. We're sitting down with Bobby Tewksbury. 
Um, you know, Bobby, the last time I saw you, we were at the ABCA and you were laying on the floor of the convention doing a fascia test. And uh, now Bleak told me that you were sore for about two days. So I just want to make sure you're off the DL before, you know, we do the podcast. I don't know if you're still hurting. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. Game ready. Yeah, Bleak got me. Bleak got me good. I was I was hurt. I, I felt like I had played a game that day and uh, hadn't felt that in like 15 years. So it was good. That's awesome. Well, we appreciate you hopping on, Bobby. And as we kind of get the show kicked off here, you've established quite a name for yourself in the game of baseball. But if people tuning in don't know the story of, of Bobby Tewksbury, can you take us through your journey to get to this point in your career? Yeah, I just stayed up way too late, way too many nights and watched video. <laughs> I tried to figure stuff out. Um, I mean, that's really all it comes down to. I just I spent a lot of time trying to figure stuff out and started telling people what I was seeing and trying to share stuff and got picked up by some some important people that are more important than me and got my name attached to them for some reason and um yeah it's just, it's been it's been an interesting journey it's an interesting journey to kind of be you know to go from sitting around in your in your office or staying up late at night for literally every night and then like be on mlb.com or be on tv and throwing home run derbies and stuff like that. It's been pretty wild, but um, just put a lot of time in. That's really all it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I know, uh, you know, even when I've talked to you again, some of these late nights, even our, you know, recording, we're going for the podcast, you're talking about uh, 2 a.m.s and and just staying late nights at the shop and um, kind of the same, same thing over here. And I wanted to kind of pick your brain about that of, you know, obviously the game's come a long way and uh, the game's kind of going a different direction right now. So I wanted to pick your brain about where, you see the game at right now and uh, just see kind of your impressions of that. And, you know, is it going a positive direction? What do you think? The game's in a weird place right now. If you just look at it from a pure like ownership versus player standpoint and how value is being quantified, I guess uh, we're in a weird place. And I, I wouldn't be shocked at all if there was a strike or holdout of some sort. Um, it's been weird to be on the development side of things because, uh, you know, my perspective was player development was being very, very undervalued a few years ago. And now the game is trended towards all young players. They're platooning like three minor leaguers at league men instead of paying the older guys. And they're paying for, or they're not paying for a few uh, past performance anymore. That's what they used to do. You know, mm. the the whole system is out of whack and I think they need to, Increase the league min to something along the lines of like four, probably four million a year to make it reasonable uh, for the veteran guys. But um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think the the, the pendulum has swung too far for mm-hmm. a lot of things. I think the human element has kind of <laughs> fallen by the wayside. I guess the the stuff that we're doing in the facility now we're we're so focused on being present and getting kids off their phones, like kids walking with headphones in. Like they're going to hit with, with AirPods in and it's like, get the headphones out. You're here to be here. So let's, let's get in the moment. Let's get lost in it. And, you know, that type of thing is when we get into the metrics and we get into the data, it's, it's easy to forget that this is a game played by humans and you know, everybody wants to make projections and play the game on paper, but that's not where it's played. Yeah. And that follow up I got for you as well. And that is just, you know, a lot, a lot of times it seems that obviously uh, baseball does have a business element element to it. 
Uh, but it seems like a lot of times, you know, now these a lot of the numbers and a lot of the metrics, it's even, you know, a lot of players are pushing back on them even more just because they're kind of being used against them. You know, they're they're using uh, business strategies that kind of hold that against players, which, you know, obviously some of it's holding them accountable for some things. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you know, you hate to see it uh, being pressed against them and being used against them, um, you know, because that just makes the players want to rebel against it even more. They don't want to use technology. They don't want to have uh you know some of these metrics pulled on them or you know these devices because someone's telling them oh man your bat speed's gone down in the last you know two years and what does that project and our algorithm or you know and etc so i think there's a big misunderstanding of what you know a lot of what's going on with a lot of the metrics how they should be used and i kind of wanted to pick your brain about that as well i mean obviously you kind of hinted at that um as some of the ways that people are using technology um and where the game's going with that so what's your perspective on you know, the tech, you know, what's been pulled with tech and what do you see, you know, positives and negatives from that side? I mean, it's a big question. So we'll, we'll have to drill down a little bit. Um, I think from a, like a free agency standpoint and like guys going through arbitration where they might be using metrics that the players aren't even aware of to evaluate people, you know, is, is a ground ball to second base with a runner on second, no outs. Is that being used against players or is that being valued? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know the answer to that question. Like being a team player, is that good for your paycheck? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, I've been exposed to the business side of this game over the last couple of years in ways that I never wish upon anybody. And that, that's me as like a proxy or, or me. I've experienced it through other people in that way. And it's a business. And anybody that doesn't see it as that at the major league level and the professional level, I mean have passion for the game but the the romance a lot of the romance of the game at that level for me is gone which stinks but you know at the same time you see it for what it is um players being evaluated on things they don't understand i think there's a huge uh conflict right now with doing like the biometrics so i know certain organizations were having players wear heart rate monitors during games and it's like well what are they going to say if my heart rate goes up <laughs> if i come up with two outs in the ninth with a tying run on third you know are they going to look at my heart rate and say that i'm not a clutch player like what <laughs> are they going to be able to assess your recovery based on that and you know things that things that you i think tech should be used for development and to help people get better not necessarily against people but it's it's really tricky i i interviewed with a team this winter to kind of just go through the process and see what it was like and um, just see what the opportunity was. But one of the questions I asked was like, what would you do if a player wouldn't use a bat sensor? And I was like, well, what, I mean, do they have to do it? And the response I got was, yeah, they're, they're an employee. They have to do what we tell them. Hmm. And I was like, really? Like that's their career. They have to, they, they have to submit to submitting data to you in it's weird because the minor leaguers don't have a union. They don't have any protection for something like that. So mm. it's weird. And even we had a player last year who was drafted in the second round. We had dozens of scouts come and watch him hit at our facility. And you know they would casually just say, hey, can you put the blast sensor on? And it was like, uh, what? <laughs> like, is this allowed? I mean, I know we've got like radar guns, you know, that you can go to a game and get radar. You can... Take a track man or flight scope out and get spin date on a guy, but I don't know where that line is. It's too early. It's so early still. You know, we're gonna have 
soon and very soon i don't know when but there's going to be uh computer vision that's doing video breakdowns of players just just based on video it's gonna it's gonna be like markerless motion capture and like video analysis is gonna be obsolete soon and players are gonna be assessed on that and it's like well where where's the line where you got to do all the character stuff and you got to see who the person is too but it's it's so early it is so early still in all this and the people that are in the front offices now are coming from non-traditional backgrounds and looking at this stuff very very objectively and it's like you can't from a business standpoint if you're running it as a business makes sense but if you're looking at it from a historical or nostalgic or the way things used to be way it's it's very different so big question feel free to drill down yeah i mean it's so early on like you mentioned it's like you almost using it as the end all be all and we're still so early in the process how do you think the influence of that style and tech and managing is influencing young players you know in the high school level college level and those guys that are coming through the minor league system how do you think that's influencing their style of play uh how it's influencing their style of play uh how so i'm 35 how old are you guys uh, so you guys are you guys are pretty young uh sometimes i ask kids i do an analogy of like dial up internet versus high speed internet and kids look at me like they don't know what i'm talking about <laughs> um do you guys know what dial up internet is yeah. have you experienced yeah. that okay so yeah. like high school kids haven't yeah they don't know what that is i had a, a girl from san francisco in today and she's looking at a school up here and I was telling, we were talking about how the brain processing speeds and the analogy that I was explaining that made so much sense was dial up versus, you know, high speed. And she was like, what's dial up? What is that? <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I'm old. Age yourself. <laughs> um, so these kids, these kids, the kids are growing up, you know, they, they're growing up and they, they've never not had an iPad or an iPhone. They've never not had access to this stuff. So it's normal for them and they don't, they just don't have any sense of reality without it. And I think it's hard for people that have, I mean, and I'm not even, I mean, I'm 35, but I'm like, I'm not that old, you know, Mm -hmm. most people that are coaching or in front offices are older than me. So I'm still somewhat young. When I first got into this, I was your age, you guys, I was 25, 26. So I'm kind of crossing a threshold of being a young guy into like a middle-aged guy. And it's interesting in that regard too. But my perspective is so different than a high school kids. I mean, the 20 year gap between 15 and 35, it's the kids are becoming showcase players. Uh, I did a tweet about this last night about how kids like the travel ball world, kids are, they're buying parents are buying playing time when they sign up for a team. They are buying playing time. They're not buying an opportunity to earn playing time. They have expectations that their son or daughter will be on the field. That is what is expected. That's what they think they're buying. And kids, when they don't get the playing time, they just bounce to another organization. So, you know, if when you look at the metrics, they they want to know where they're ranked. They want to know how they stack up. You know, what does it mean? And if you can't give it to them, they're going to go on Instagram or Twitter and they're going to find it real quick. So you can't be fake with them. You can't, t- you can't pretend to know because they're going to find out f- faster than you can find out. 
So you got to be honest with kids. You got to be tough on them in, in good ways, not just to be mean and be like the crusty old guy, but you got to, you got to push them and challenge them to help them break through things that they have no idea about. You have to expose them to the harshness of the game because the game is harsh and they don't know it. So in terms of like playing style, I think there's just a lot. It's so new. It's, it's hard to even comprehend what kids that are the kids that are in high school. Now it's hard to, it's hard to relate to. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's very different. I think, I think older coaches need to really, really think about it and, and think about how their experience growing up is different than kids now. And it's really, it's hard to put yourself in their shoes. It really is. Yeah. And when we look at the, you know, the athleticism of these kids and the way that coaching is going, the way that they're being graded at these levels, what do you think it's doing to the overall athleticism of the baseball player? Uh, in what regard? I mean, kids like doing strength programs at younger and younger ages and that um, type of thing. Yeah. I mean, I've just heard you talk about how we're just the, just the over coaching, almost making them into robots kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Kids. Um, what I see is kids are trying to be right more so than getting better. I, I talk to kids about that all the time though. You know, they'll take a swing and be like, was that it? It's like, does it doesn't matter. Like, can you repeat it? Like, it was yeah. a good swing, but can you repeat it? It doesn't matter if you do it one time, but they want that gratification. They want to be told, you know, that was it. That was, that's what you're working for. And there's there, it's important to get feedback. Yeah. But the type of feedback that they want, what I see is based on like so much of feedback is based on Twitter and practice scenarios mm-hmm. versus the game. Like the game tells us what works. The game is telling us if we're, like if you're making outs consistently, you're not hitting the ball consistently. Something's wrong. Yep. And it, it could be many things. It might be your vision. It might be your pitch selection. Your swing could stink. You're just not fast enough. Like there's a lot of things that can go wrong, but kids think that they, you know, the, I think a lot of kids think their swing is wrong first and that's not the problem because they're not even facing competition. That's challenging them enough to, for that to really matter. The swing becomes more important as you face really good pitching. You can get away with a bad swing for a long time mm. if, if you're reasonably athletic, but kids want to, they, they think they're supposed to fix things instead of improving. And mm. that's something that I really see. I think different than my generation where it was like you would just work hard and you would, we didn't know what our swings look like. We didn't have video. I, yeah. Like, I don't think I, it's like, I, I think I've, we, we had a camera in college. And I was at a D one, I mean, university of Vermont, but it was a D, division one school. We had a camera, uh, that had like a touch screen, like the flip out screen was a touch screen. So you had to like touch frame by frame on the little flip screen. So we're looking at like the little, like two and a half inch flip out screen. That's what we looked at for video. <laughs> And with like 15, out. like 15 frames per second. <laughs> I think it was 30. I think yeah. it was 30, but even then you didn't know what you're looking at. That's yeah. like yeah. the first time you sit down to look at video, you have no idea what you're looking at. It's like, yeah. yep, that's, that's me. That's, that's a swing. <laughs> is it good? Is it bad? Is it like, should my yeah. hands be there? Should they be higher, lower? Like you have no idea. There's no, there's no knowledge to support anything you're looking at. 
And that, that's been a huge thing that I've tried to do with my books and my, my hitting daily resource, like just educate, just put people in front of it. Cause I know it takes time to build up that, that database in your head of what a swing is and how to compare different swings. And, you know, kids now in 2008, I bought a Casio EXF one. It's like it did, it did 300, 600 and 1200 frames per second in a point and shoot style camera. If you've never seen a Casio EXF one, look it up on eBay or something. It looks like a normal camera and it does awesome video. Having 300 frame per second video was insane at the time. <laughs> like on an SD card, you could pop it out and put it in your computer and look at it 300 frames per second. And the, 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 um, the light sensor on the inside, if you did it inside, it was like you were in the pitch black. You had to have good lighting. If you filmed outside, it was really good. But I mean, 300 frame per second video was crazy. And we all walk around with 240 in our pocket now. iPhone yeah. does 240 frames per second. It You can airdrop it to your computer and be looking at it in seconds. Yeah. that It's like, and that's normal for kids. It's completely normal for them to know what their swing looks like. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing because then they put the emphasis on that instead of competing or being mentally tough and trying to beat the guy in the mound. I think kids forget to do that, or they don't even realize they're supposed to be trying to, which is weird to say. But just coaching at the youth levels and seeing what kids do and how they how they go out on the field, I think that's reality. Do you think that uh, just kind of like you're saying, when you look into obviously uh, social media, that wasn't one thing, even too, when uh, Bo and I were growing up, like that kind of just started. But, um, you know, even from that, you know, you had MySpace and all that stuff back then. Now you have it on your phone. It's in your pocket on a constant uh, basis. Like before, you know, we had a we had to go on, find a computer if we wanted to go on and get on social media. But it's like that constant affirmation or that constant feedback and then there's videos and there's metrics and there's all this constant feedback um, all the time. You know, it's almost like, again, that that's obviously a big proponent when it comes into them always looking for affirmation or looking for feedback because they're just so readily available, which, you know, obviously previously it wasn't. Do you think that plays into it? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if I had it, then I'd use it. Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's not, it's, it's not like, we wouldn't have taken advantage of it or, or done the same thing if it was available to us. Yeah. So, um, like I don't blame kids. It's not their fault. Like when, when people say kids these days, it pisses me off. It's not the, kid, <laughs> it's not the kid's fault. Like the yeah. kid didn't, the kid didn't like solder up his own PlayStation. Like he's not connecting the wires and writing the video game code. And like, like it's being given to them. Yeah. So, you know, I have a, I have a daughter. She's, a year and a half, a little, little more than a year and a half old. Um, so my perspective on that is is just, it's hard to explain until you live it, but, you know, making decisions about iPad time. <laughs> and I mean, it's like when, she, if she's watching like a Netflix thing, like we try to do all educational stuff on there, but when it pops up, like, are you still there? She knows to touch the red button to keep watching. <laughs> it's like, whoa. Like, when yeah. did you, how did you do that? When did you figure that out? And she can turn it on and she can navigate it. It's, 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 it's scary. And, you know, we have to make decisions as a family about it. And, you know, when everybody's got the PlayStation and they want to play Fortnite and everybody's doing it and 
you know, Fortnite is the new going out and playing wiffle ball in the side yard. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not getting on your bikes and going terrorizing the neighborhood because you're like <laughs> not allowed to go outside because you might get abducted or something. Yeah. I was saying that obviously we do, uh, from generation to generation, like we work hard today, you know, today so that the next generation can stand on top of our shoulders, like not start where we did, but start more advanced and start more, um, you know, like privilege isn't the issue. It's like when that, uh, privilege is when it's seen as opportunity instead of, you know, um, that they're, you know, like they're owed something, right? Like that's like a different perspective is like when you have, when you have like privilege, if you look at it as an opportunity, like, man, that's right. Like instead of me having to go outside and work a hard labor job, you know, I can go make money in a much shorter time frame, and, you know, I have social media, I can start my own business younger. I can do all these other things. Like when you see that as an opportunity, that's a great thing. When you look at that as like, you know, again, that, you know, it's owed to you. Um, and that, you know, um, you, you come up with that, that mindset, you know, really changes the game guys. That's the greatest thing about what we do is, you know, that's why we work so hard. You know, I want my kids to be in a better place than, you know, my dad left me. Right. And then generation to generation, that's kind of like the thought. So, I mean, I I don't know. I just think like in the same sense, it's just really how they view the opportunity. Like, it's great that we have all that tech. It's great that we have video you can pull out of your pocket. Like, I mean, I think we're seeing some of the you know, best athletes to ever play the game. You know, we're seeing some of the things that we've never seen before. Um, we're also going to see some, you know, obviously issues that come from that as well, but, um, you know, for the sake of progress. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always, I mean, we're going to look back now and be like, oh man, we are idiots. We had no idea what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. It's going to happen. You know, it's it's just, that's what happens. And that's that's just how, it, I mean, technology moves really fast and it's, it's, it'll be crazy to see how this stuff starts, starts to shake out. So when, so when you look at obviously, um, all this tech and, you know, all this, you know, uh, privileges that we now have as a coach, when you look back and you see your evolution of your coaching style, um, and just, you know, where your mind was, um, back then to where you are now, um, you know, what, what do you think changed? Like, where were you then? Where are you now? And what did that process look like in between? I mean, so if you go back to when I really started coaching, um, as a player, I was a knob to ball, you know, get the foot down early, knob to balls. I was never really a big squish the bug guy. I didn't really think about that, but I got, re- I, I got really good at staying inside the ball because I had to, I, that, that was the primary focus. So when I first started coaching, that's what I would, that's what I would teach. You know, you teach what you know. And the more you get exposed to stuff, the more you see different ways and, um, you know, the whole swing evolution thing, it's not a secret anymore. A couple of years ago, it was still pretty fringy and it's not anymore. So now I think the challenge is all in, in how it's taught, like from like 2013 to 2017, for that chunk of time, it was all about like educating and teaching people what the moves are and how the barrel moves and why it's important. And it's, it, you see a lot of different variation in, with the people you come across, you know, whether it's like a local parent that just doesn't even go on Twitter, they, they're not on hitting Twitter. They don't know what's going on. Um, you know, there's, uh, it is still fringy in the local worlds but online it's so different and in some ways i used to be viewed as an extreme and now i'm definitely not an extreme 
you know, there's people that go way beyond what I do in terms of being different and taking things to more extreme. How do I want to say that? You know what I'm saying? There's people that do bigger things, bigger moves. Like people like I got attached to Donaldson because of the, he had a leg kick and tipped a barrel. And I never told him to do that. It was something that was comfortable for him. But that's what I got attached to because that's who I was attached to the most. And, you know, people thought that was extreme. It was like, oh, you're a leg tip. You're, you're a leg kick barrel tip guy. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a movement guy. Like understand the movement and then find your style. And now there's people that have just extremely rigid ways of doing things. Uh, they're very, very rigid in their belief systems. And it's like, there's a lot of ways to do it. There's a lot of ways to do it. And there's a right way for different people. Yeah. And, there's a, there's, and you can have success with a terrible swing if you're a good enough athlete. So it's like, the again, the game tells us it's working. And... You know, you can work as much as you want on having this perfect swing and have no success. Like, mm. That sucks. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. But that's yeah. the reality. That's like the game. The game is the measuring stick, not how your swing looks on video. Yep. And it's no secret, you know, that you formulated these ideas through studying, like you've mentioned, hours and hours of videos, you know, such individualized movements from different athletes. Um, based off of what you've seen and what you've studied over the years, what are some common things you see from these high level hitters or, you know, basically these guys that are considered the best in the world? What do they do, you know, in common the most? They barrel up. (laughs) (laughs) They're on time and they barrel up and they don't give away at bats. They are tough outs. You know, you look at like, who do you want to talk? Let me pick a hitter. Like Trout is the best player in baseball right now. He's mm-hmm. uh, he's a, he's the most productive hitter, right? Mm-hmm. I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done a a better job at covering up the hole that he had in the top of the zone because he had a hole in the top of the zone. And he covers it better now, so he's a tougher out than he was. Um, I love watching Joey Votto hit. I just like watching him go through, like just watches at bats. They're awesome. You know, there's big, strong dudes like Stanton who's got probably not a great swing from a mechanic standpoint. But last year, not last year, two years ago when he closed off his stance and he started slipping into some good patterns and started getting some timing benefit, you know, the dynamic of him finding something that worked and then last year going so extreme with it because uh, was it Chad Bradford that kept throwing lower and lower sidearm? Is that money ball? He would like just keep throwing lower and lower and lower. His release point would keep going lower to try to get more movement. And then he's like, you're at the ground and there's, you can't go lower. Mm-hmm. So it's, I, I'm more intrigued by that type of stuff and, and seeing the dynamics and the adjustments. And like, I'd rather watch batting practice than the game so I can see how guys work and see their intent and see their, their processes. Um, I don't even, to be honest, I don't even remember what your question was, but <laughs> talking about different guys and different different things that people do you know we were talking about what were we, what were we talking about trout trout's got the style that's not not as traditional as like mm-hmm. what i would what i would consider like a bonds or a pool holes but he's super super athletic like super athletic and he it works for him and that's okay 
do you uh, enjoy one thing we kind of talked about on our last podcast? Uh, it's something that I really enjoy is uh, spring training time because you can kind of see what guys have been working on. You know, there's all this uh, social media buzz and you can kind of see what guys are working through. And, you know, especially when you watch them hitting off the tee, you're seeing them hitting off uh, front toss and doing some of their drills. Is that a time of year that you really enjoy thinking like you're more on the player development side and you like to see what, you know, how methodical guys are going about their work? Uh, yeah. I mean, the like when I go to games, I watch guys on deck. Like, yeah. I just will watch guys on deck. They, they're telling you what they're thinking with their actions. Mm-hmm. So if you want to kind of climb inside their brain and see what, what their process is, you can see it. And you know, it's a ton of bleak. And I, you were there too. I mean, bleakers just louder than us, but we, we, talked, <laughs> a lot, we talked a lot about, we talked a lot about like the whole like swing down thing. And like, that's so it's good. Like, yeah, swing down. If that's what you need to think about. Yeah. If, if you told me to swing down, I would swing straight down, literally. But yeah. my back arm, my back arm never got into a good position, and I never created plane, so I didn't understand what you know why that would work in a good way. I would just, I would just straight up chop down on it. So, you know, when you watch a guy like so many of these guys that are facing high spin fastballs at the top of the zone, you better try to get on top of that. You better, yeah. like, if you don't, you're gonna swing and miss under. The, like, I forget who I was talking to this about the other day, but the, this unknown stat, like the more strikeouts and hits is crazy to me. Like yeah. if that's, that's an indicator that you've gone too far and yes, mm-hmm. the pitching is outstanding now. It's, it, I mean, pitch design is a problem. <laughs> it's a problem. Like, but we got swing design, that, Bobby. We got swing design. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got swing design. <laughs> Um, I remember the first time I saw that, and I said something that was like really. But I told, I told, I told the uh, bleak that when we when they, you know, obviously when it came out with the swing design and some of these uh, these other things, it's like I was like, um, I was like bleak. We've been doing you know swing design, you know, back when you know forever. Like we've always been working on how guys move and how to change it and how to make them more productive. And again, we obviously put these new buzzwords on things to get them you know, catchy, but I mean, guys have been developing pitches and guys have been changing grips and guys have been doing all that for years. We have different ways of metrics and video, you know, resources to, you know, make it more efficient. But, you know, we've been doing that for, you know, a really long time. And uh, it's kind of sucks on that same note and maybe kind of turn the direction of a podcast in a different direction, but just same, the same exact thing. Like there's all these, you know, old guys in the game getting pushed out um, just because they don't know the new buzzwords or don't know how to use a certain piece of technology, but they obviously have a tremendous uh, amount of value guys that have made, you know, MVPs or guys that have made a whole bunch of all-stars or had guys that have had, you know, a whole bunch of career years when they're with them. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of sad at the same time, you know, obviously it's, it's the way of the future. Like there is, um, you know, some of these, these other guys just need to be brought in and kind of like if they knew how to use the tech or they knew what it meant, like obviously they'd be even more productive. But um, I think in that same right, like you said earlier, like some of that, that, that pendulum, I think has swung too far, um, in that direction, I think there's some guys that definitely deserve to be having a, a job right now. And probably some guys on the tech side that probably don't deserve to be in some of the positions that they're in, um, at the moment. Um, I got a problem with the word deserve there. It's not, yeah. I mean, it's not their fault. It's not, I mean, yeah, they put for themselves sure. in position. It's yeah, for sure. Deserve is not a word I would use right there. No, I agree. Um, yeah. it's a good point. It's, 
bubbles burst. Yeah. It, you know, if, if we go too far in one direction, we're going to bounce back. It's there's a, there's a book. The, the book is literally called pendulum. Um, it's by, there's a marketing guy that I follow and it talks about the pendulum swings of society and how it, when you go too far to one direction, it swings back and it, then it just keeps going back and forth. So, um, in baseball, there's going to be pendulum swings. There's going to be, you know, movement and trends that happen. Even this, even the stuff where, you know, when, when guys like Pools were getting those massive contracts and Cano got the massive contract, there's a bunch of guys who have these huge contracts that, you know, when those happened, like if you didn't see the writing on the wall with those, just from an age standpoint, you know, what were you doing? What were you thinking about? It's, like Pools at the time was the best hitter, probably like the best ten year stretch in the history of the game. It's like it's not sustainable. You're paying so you're they paid him for what he did, not what he was going to do. Mm-hmm. And when you look at negotiations and how that all works, it's it's gonna change. You know, it's gonna it's not gonna stay the same. It's a dynamic system. So there's just there's a lot of things that will fluctuate and. Why do you think that's so much? The one thing about hitting, so uh, you, I, 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 this triggered in my brain when you were talking about stuff a minute ago about like the swing, the swing design, and um, I wanted to expand on the pitch design a little bit, but uh, I know you had Carlton Salters on recently, mm-hmm. and I love the way I love the way he talks about hitting being a reaction, and there's there's constraints on a hitter that just don't exist in the other disciplines of athletics. So like golfer can take all the time they want, right? And then you do whatever you want, dude. Like Lee Trevino would like sidestep before he hit the ball. Gary player would do walkthroughs. You know, you could have the slowest Hideki Matsuyama. I think <laughs> he does like a, he just takes his backswing up and just stops for a second. You can't do that in hitting hitting has incredible, incredible demands for timing, for adjustability, and it's it you you there's certain things that work better than other things, but it's a dynamic system. It's you you the whole swing is an adjustment in the response to the pitch. So like what are we designing? There's there's truths to the movement. You know, there's body positioning. I call it the geometry of the body. I, I think it was a golf term I picked up somewhere, and I, I've looked for it, but I, I can't find the original source of that. But geometry of the body, where like the back arm gets down, the lead arm gets up, the hips get open, like that happens. It's not really disputable in my eyes. Like that's what gets the bat on plane, the positioning of the body. So, like those things happen. Like, so if you're designing a swing, like, I don't care what your style is. Every hitter has to find their own style and we can help. We can help hitters find their style through experimentation and constraints and whatever you want. But like there's things that have, there's a mechanical advantage to be achieved with your, how you swing. That's like a principle to me. It's not a method. It's a principle. So, you know, the, what I was talking about with the pitch design or what I want to talk about, like a guy like Adam Monavino who can purchase some technology and like a golfer, he's got all the time in the world to deliver a pitch, assuming, you know, 
he's reasonably quick to the plate with the runner on base. But if he's from the windup, he can do whatever he wants. He can do whatever he controls all the inputs. A hitter has very little control of inputs. Like we can get ready on time and we can put ourselves in a good position to respond, but that's all we can do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And like, I don't know if you even asked me this, but before we got on, we were talking about like, what do I, what are the, what do I see hitters doing? What do I see problems with? Like hitters don't put themselves in good positions on time. Everybody talks about being early. Like, oh, you got to load early. They say that because everybody's late. Like nobody's just on time. Like everybody's late. They, you, nobody gets on time. Mm-hmm. And if you're not on time, you have to rush. If you rush, you don't have time to get into positions. So what is, when you say, when you say on time too, um, w- one thing I've talked about with uh, Donnie quite a bit is obviously when guys don't put themselves in good positions, like on time, like you had kind of mentioned is, is guys that um, are, you know, obviously in and out of the zone um, rapidly, let that be because of, you know, bat speed or positioning or angles that they're creating or direction or any of those things. Obviously, timing becomes even more important to them because they're only going to be um, in the zone for a very short period of time. So what do you say when you say on time, you know, what does on time mean to you? The way that I ex- explain timing is you have to be on time twice. And this is my book. This is I've been talking about this for like six, seven years now. You have to be on time twice. The first time you're on time is to pitch recognition and identification. You have to be ready to see the pitch and you and that's movement that gets you there. So on time first time is pitch recognition. On time twice is contact. The challenge is that the time between pitch release and contact is variable. So you have to like hitter good hitters do the same thing leading up to pitch recognition. They move the same. They get ready the same. And then their swing allows them to either react immediately or extend their window to a slower pitch. But you have to be on time to the fastball first. And then you extend your timing window for off speed. You can't get quicker. You can't you can't speed up your process. So like the hitter that's in and out of the zone, they have like mechanical body positioning flaws it's making their bat too steep into the zone. They're not getting their their arms in the wrong positions or their shoulders in the wrong positions or they're leaning forward too much. There's something wrong with their positioning that's making them be in and out of the zone. So you educate them on that. You teach them why it's happening and you do everything in your power to address that and make them feel new things so that they can work on it. But if they're not on time to release and seeing the pitch, you know, timing isn't more important for that hitter. Timing is equally important for everybody. Some hitters have bigger windows and they have a better chance to be consistent in my eyes. Mm. It's a consistency you, issue. It's not a timing issue. If, you're, if your swing plane stinks, you know, you have, lo- you have a smaller margin for error. You can, be on, you can be on time to pitch release and then you just, you can't adjust. You have to cheat. You have to, you have to, make a commitment sooner because of how you swing and that's not good that means you're to me that means you're not preparing well for pitch recognition you're not putting yourself in a good gathered position to be able to create time so people when people talk about people talk about like you know oh i'm an approach guy i'm not a mechanics guy it's like well anything that you do physically is mechanics 
And when you do it is your approach. So where's the line? I don't know. I don't know where the line is. It's very blurred to me. Mm -hmm. No, yeah, for sure. And then obviously, you know, like we come with the, you know, approach or, you know, things like that too. They're like, obviously back in the day, guys were swinging at, you know, not back in the day, guys are still swinging at curveballs in the dirt. And I was swinging at curveballs in the dirt. All guys were always thinking it was, oh, it's your approach. You know, you're not sitting right center. You're not selling out to the right side. But obviously, too, how I move has a lot to do. You know, I can think some things that might help. Um, but obviously, you know, again, like you're saying, some of these angles that I'm creating, the spacing that I'm creating, the direction that I'm creating, are going to have a lot to do with uh, my adjustability. And I know one thing, um, you know, you talked about, and I've uh, used to steal from you back in the day, definitely from reading your book and having conversations with you, as I know that uh, some of the drills that you do uh, to kind of like force guys to be off time and then how they develop you know, uh, adjustability or ways to get pitches when they're a little early, when they're a little late, you kind of dive into some of that stuff as well. Mm -hmm. You want me to dive into it now? Yeah, dive in. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, the, like you can use arms, arms can become an adjustability thing. Legs can become an adjustability thing. You know, if you sink lower into your legs, you can buy time. The, the difference between, if you've played and you've been in the batter's box against decent pitching, when you feel early on a breaking ball, it feels like a long time, right? If you feel like you're way out in front, you're like a few hundredths of a second in front. It's really not a big window. But when you're covering, what, like two or three feet at 80 miles an hour, it's pretty quick. So you, if your bat's there before the ball's there, you feel like an idiot. So the amount of time that you actually need to buy is is really in the general world. It's not a lot of time. So that's why you the pitch wrecking. I've been I've been talking up Game Sense a lot because Game Sense for us at our facility here, we've had so many amazing conversations with hitters about what they're seeing and when they need to move, and it's game speed arm action. It's not BP arm action. There's a big difference there. So they're getting ready on time to an actual game speed arm. And you can't, it's not like, it's not perfect. But tell you what, it's snowing outside right now. You guys are out. You got some sunshine out in California. Yeah, it's snowing yeah. outside right now. It's it's snowing outside. I, I talked to uh, Bleaker earlier. Like you, Your high school season's out there underway. We don't have tryouts until late March. You know, we're stuck inside. We can't have pitchers throwing all the time. We so we have to be creative about what we do and and utilize the technology that we have to to facilitate these conversations and facilitate the education process of the hitters so that when they get to the games they know what to do they have mental like self resources they've got a library in their head of what they can go to to give themselves a better chance to compete so in terms of like actual specifics of of adjustability. Yeah, like if you're out front, if you if you push your arms to to get to contact as like part of your mechanics, like a knob to ball swing is you're literally extending your arms to make contact, then you can't like that component of adjustability is spent too soon. If you can get to the if you can get to the ball with bent arms, then when you're early, you can extend your arms so that when you're early, you can still be on time. And it's not perfect but we're very rarely perfect in this game. 
So you have to you have to build as much uh, variability into your process as possible to give yourself a chance to to have a chance when you're not good. Was that deep enough? You want me to keep going? No, I want I want you rabbit hole us of the ideas <laughs> that you've had that keep you up late of timing because I, I mean obviously too like just like you're saying I mean like I think of guys with with swings like in this sense like. I used to, re- I remember growing up, I'm, you know, I'm a Yankees fan. And so, yeah, I know they hates me or loves me. I get it. But again, uh, Bo's also a Yankee fan. So I got that on my side. But <laughs> when I was growing up, when I was growing up, I used to always watch, you know, guys like, you know, Johnny Damon. It's just like, dude, your swing is the ugliest thing. Like I've ever, like you just like slapping balls, but he's slapping balls out of the park. Like, just like, what? Like guys like his swing again, like a, the, they always reminded me of there's obviously that time and component. Of uh, you know, there's guys with ugly swings that are just on time. Like they have a weird timing mechanism. You got guys like you know, Euculus or some guys that start in some weird positions. Obviously, get to some really good positions as well. Um, Hunter Pence, you know, moves like a weirdo, but at the same time, he gets to some really good spots. So uh, like, that's blasphemy right there. Hunter Pence, <laughs> beautiful swing. He's got some ugly style, but he's got a beautiful swing. Yeah, that's what I say. Agreed. I just say that he, he again, not not obviously those guys are not very traditional. Uh, when it comes to uh, the style. Um, but again, like, you know, there's a big side of that when it comes to timing and adjustability. Um, and, you know, it comes from it a lot of different ways. And um, I mean, I know even when, you know, I was reading you again, my my roots of like, uh, Bleak always makes fun of me because there's a lot of things that come back. He's like, I feel like I'm talking to Bobby because just in the same sense of me reading like your book, like you were like my root, you know, everybody has like the you like mentored me without being here (laughs) and like me reading your books. And so a lot of things come back to like how my original thoughts of, you know, uh, my core beliefs. Right. And so, um, you know, a lot of things, even reading your book back then, you know, you're halfway to home drills and, um, you know, even back then you were talking about a lot of different ways of creating timing and creating, um, where I'm supposed to be at the right time, even back then. So, um, I kind of wanted to dive into I was doing constraint drills before everybody read Bosch. <laughs> well, people don't even know what the word constraint meant in baseball yet. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was like, it was just ways of doing it. So as a player, I was an extremely field-based player. And even when I was teaching a knob to ball swing, I would tell kids like, look, one of my stock lines was like, you give me a toothpick or a telephone pole, I'm going to be inside the ball. <laughs> like, I can control that. You like, I don't care what bat you put in my hands. And we would do variation drills. We, I would bring a little league bat and a overload bat, and we had custom overload bats made in 2009. Like, so it's funny to see it like now with like all these people like jumping on board with it. It's like, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's old news, but keep going. It's, it's on Twitter, so it's new. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was just a field guy. So when you're in the cage and you're in the trenches, you get creative. So it's like, I need the barrel to be here. And I would literally take a ball and like start from behind the L screen. Like, all right, get your barrel up. And I just, I, I felt, I mean, I'm not a hundred percent dead set on the, on a vertical barrel. Now I was, I was bigger on it before. And I think it just doesn't work for some people based on just wrist angles and forearm strength and stuff like that. But, um, you know, doing, a, doing that halfway home drill with a vertical barrel, I would start behind the L screen and just literally walk like because I would show him a video of somebody like Paul Olson be like his barrels vertical here. Like the ball's out of the hand. He's still tipping the barrel up. Barry Bonds is tipping the barrel after pitch release. 
Yeah. And kid, like kids just really struggle with that. They want to pull it back early. So literally, I would start walking with the ball. It's like it's not out. It's not going back yet. It's not going back yet. It's not going back yet. Wait till the ball gets here, and I'd be literally halfway to the home plate. So it's like wait till it's halfway home, and like then like I've written so many times like what is a drill? Like is that a drill, mm-hmm. or is it just teaching timing? Yeah. Like, what is a drill? Like everybody wants a drill. If you yeah. ever like speak, if you ever do any sort of like conference or anything like. If you say the word, oh, here's a drill, every single person will pick up a pen and start writing in their notepad. (laughs) It's like, just shut up and listen and learn. Don't write this down. Because if you understand it, you can do anything to help a hitter. You can a ton of variations. Your your toolbox is infinite if you understand the principles of it. Yeah. But if you're trying to do a swing, if you're trying to do a drill, you're so limited. And mm-hmm. it's so frustrating. And that's getting back to like the kids that want to be right. It's like, just list, listen and understand, pay attention. Don't try to be right. Try to learn, try to get better. It's so different when people, when, when hitters find it on their own, it's so much stronger. Like their, their skill is so much more stable when they find it on their own, when they don't have to rely on a coach, when they, when they don't have to lean on somebody, when they don't have to be a crutch. Like, I think people would be shocked about how little I say to kids sometimes. I think there's like, like people think that like hitting coaches have to be like all like making constant adjustments. It's like, well, what'd you feel there? What were you trying to do? Like, were you under or were you over? Like, just I'm helping kids build awareness more than anything else, not telling people what to do. Educate and help them find it, help them find their feel. Yeah. That's isn't that isn't that isn't that like the old like like Chinese like proverb like point him down a path like instead of um you know to kind of like point him in the right direction and let him let him figure figure it out and um you know I think the same thing too it's like it's it's so odd you know if guys will be going through a field and I'll just be sitting there like watching them and um and they they're, they're swinging and they're uh you know I see him make an adjustment and then obviously like let them go through it. And there's certain guys that again, after every single swing, they're like looking over at you and they want feedback. And then there's other guys, especially obviously uh, more guys that know what they're trying to feel and understand, have a process and how quickly they make adjustments rather than, you know, it comes like a choke point. If they need you, I mean, the, the main key to leadership is to have them not need you. Like I want, like, I'm not going to be with you in the box. Yeah. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to be with you every single swing. I'm not going to be with you when you're with your coach in college and you have to navigate a conversation about how you don't agree with his hitting philosophy or, you know, and how you guys navigate that. Like, you know, I want to help you navigate those conversations, but at the same time too, like, you know, I gotta, gotta teach you the problem solve. And like, that's much more than, you know, this lesson model of here, come to me for, you know, 45 minutes or an hour or whatever. And I'm going to completely give you all these things. And again, like nothing against lessons, but I think more and that's so I take a lot of ownership when guys come to me that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to teach them much more than, you know, baseball or just movements. You know, I'm trying to, you know, I want to grow men. I want um, them to be able to problem solve. I want them to be good fathers and husbands and all those things as well. And, you know, that's much more than just, uh, you know, the game and like a business. So I think, uh, you know, too often I'll get a lot of guys, especially when they first come in um, and they start kind of getting involved with our culture, even here at 108, it's just like, they expect me every single second to be watching every single rep they do. And, you know, am I doing it perfect this one? And, you know, it's like, like, look, go play around with this for a minute. I'll come back, show me what you got. You know, what did you feel different? What made it click? 
you know, and let's talk about that. Like, I'm not, I don't know what you need to feel like this is a, a, you know, it feels this way to me. It feels this way to that guy. Like, what do you need to think? What do you need to feel to create that movement? And like, let's figure it out together. For sure. For sure. I mean, what else are people doing? I don't, I mean, it's crazy. It's yeah. so obvious to me. And I, I got to get out there because I, I got to see how you guys do stuff. And Blake said he could take me fishing out there. So I want to do that as well. But it, it, uh, our, our, our fishing trip was the worst day of my life. <laughs> it was the most it was the most like i'm like a control freak and i like he's he's great like in this sense was like, he scattered was he scattered no, with it? Did he just... no he just he just like bleak okay bleak is a like innovator and he's just like loves like okay look different different things fill different people's cups up and he's one of those guys that he loves not being in control because it, it fills him back up to know that he's like so little like and like, I get that, but I, I'm telling you, I was out on this little baby boat and we were in the middle of the water and I'm like a city boy. I'm not used to this ocean and I'm just looking around and there's these big waves coming and I'm like, I'm on this little baby boat. And like, <laughs> like ha- literally we've been out there for 15 hours at this point. The captain doesn't know what he's doing. Hours? I mean, it just, yes, this turned what into a, boat were you on? we went all what? the way to San Diego. It was, oh What's my goodness. What's a baby boat to you? I want to know what a baby boat is to you. It was like, okay, it wasn't. It wasn't like a like little like fisherman's boat. Like it was okay, maybe it was like twenty feet. Like it was not a. I'm just saying, in comparison to the ocean, this thing is small. Uh, we're not oh. on a cruise ship. Right? I think everything small Every, compared to the ocean. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good call right there. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is we're out there. Okay, fifteen hours into this trip, and this boat swaying back and forth. I finally, you know, we're we're catching all these fish. We hit a wave, and I was like, you know, I'm I this whole time I've you know there's been other people that have slipped, fall, nothing. I'm on the front of the boat and we hit a wave. This thing takes me completely off my feet. I land on my tailbone, land on the window of like this metal uh, frame on top of the window to make sure that it doesn't like bust by waves. I hit it right on my tailbone. I swear to you, I couldn't walk. I limped for like two months. As soon as, as, soon as I hit this thing, I went up to the top of the boat and I told Bleak, I was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> I just want to go home. I don't want to do this anymore. He came back Monday all refreshed. I came back Monday like I'd been, you know, I pulled like five overnights, like, oh, like overnighters in a row. Like I was just like destroyed. I just learned like, that wasn't me. That's his, that's his thing. I just, it's not me. <laughs> just is what well, it is. You're not allowed to go fishing with us then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Please. I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm in for the 15 hour trip for sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll wait for you guys to get back. We're all good. As long as we got water. I don't want to be dehydrated out there. Yeah, no, I, I think I think I think I kissed I think I kissed the ground when we got back. I mean, when we got back, I, I'm telling you, Bobby, it was crazy. We had a guy go overboard when we got back to the. the I mean, it's just like it was just chaos. What was going on out there? It was, it was just chaos. I'm just that's just not my thing. I don't like chaos like that. That's just it was too much, too soon. Like it's my first real trip out in the ocean, yeah. and it's just it was just too much. There's too much going on. It was. It's not my thing. I just want to. Ocean's you know, different. Ocean's I different. To, I want to hit baseballs and I want to be on the earth. Like that's it. <laughs> just yeah, right. it's different. But so let, let me start my interview. But can we? Can I start my interview portion of this? This is the end of part one of a three-part series with Bobby. If you want to hear the other parts, make sure to tune in next week. This call takeaway is brought to you by Silverback Sports. Silverback Sports is the alpha when it comes to arm care and training essentials. Silverback's training products are constructed from premium materials and are designed to be durable and dependable. 
to withstand the toughest and most rigorous throwing or training programs. Visit ShopSilverback.com to see their entire line of high-quality products at very affordable prices. Also, follow them on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook to stay up to date at ShopSilverback. That's at ShopSilverback. Yeah, man, what a great call. What was your biggest call takeaway, Joey? I think in this first part, uh, my biggest call takeaway when it comes to, you know, Bobby is really understanding like more him as a person and understanding um, the journey that it takes. And again, he's a, when it comes to, you know, someone that knows how to work, like not knows how to work, but has a passion for working, which is different. Um, he just loves it, you know? And, and I think, you know, obviously through the the other parts of the interview, you'll hear that more and more, but um, in the very the beginning part, just just what it takes to be and get to the level that he's gotten to. Um, and just really, I think it shows his character from multiple different angles. Um, you know, and I, I think that's, that was my biggest call takeaway. How about you, Bo? Yeah, I think that's mine too for part one is just how authentic he is and how genuine he is. You know, it's in, in the way baseball is today, it's we see a lot of people that have an agenda and his agenda is just the passion for the kids and making them better. Uh, giving them the resources they need to succeed. And, you know, I thought it was really cool for him to be vulnerable and open up to us here. And um, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. A guy of his stature and his, um, you know, the pull he has to be so sincere with us. Absolutely. Well, guys, again, um, as always, we're going to keep giving you guys um, all the resources that we can to get you better. Again, to make your way over to the system.farm. Uh, we got a whole bunch of resources on there. We got a free membership on there. Again, I'm going to spell it F R E E free. There's free, free resources for you guys to get better. Um, there's a whole bunch of things on there. practice plans from big time universities. You know, again, how are they training? What are their throwing programs looking like? I mean, when you take into there's things from 108 on there, guys, a whole bunch of stuff on there. Our shop is on there as well. Get your gear make sure you look like the, you're part of the team and guys from us and our partners over at Rapsodo. Until next time, the farm system out.